0: Uh, Willa and I have been talking a lot about heaven lately. Uh, our conversation about heaven really started a couple years ago uh, when our dog, Coulter, died, which was also right around the same time uh, when my grandparents died, my, my Opa, my Oma, what, Oma uh, what Willa calls Opa K, Oma K. But most recently, Willa's been looking at a book about dinosaurs, and she saw a page with a huge meteor crashing into the earth, and she's put two and two together, And now she's afraid that a meteor might hit our house. And she's asking all kinds of questions, like, if a meteor hits our house, what then? Like, will we go to heaven? And then what will heaven be like? Will I see Omen Opa there? What about Coulter? How old will I be in heaven? What will I look like in heaven? Will my dolls Molly and Samantha get to good heaven? I mean, she's got a lot of questions, (laughs) right? And she's honestly asking questions that I haven't asked in a long time, or simply questions that I don't know the answer to. Uh, They're questions that are beautiful in their simplicity and also their sincerity. Being asked them is exciting and fun, uh, but also a little uncomfortable, if I can be totally honest with you. Uh, Talking about heaven with my daughter forces me to face the fact that I'm going to die, (laughs) Um, that she will too. And then what? What? It forces me to be honest with her and myself about what I really do believe uh, about the future. Where does my hope truly lie? I have to really own, is heaven wishful thinking or is heaven for real? I mean, if you judge something uh, by its permanence, maybe more real than this microphone before me or like the paper in my hand, right? More real than that. Well, for the next two weeks, all right, this week and the next, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about the future uh, after Jesus returns and judges the world. The end of the world, as we know it, is not lights out or game over from a biblical perspective. It really is instead a turning of the page. It's the start of a new chapter, what the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth. Here's a little bit of trivia, but I think it's actually helpful, right? In Greek, there are two words uh, for new, there is neos, which means brand new, something like starting from scratch. And then there was kinos, which means something that's renewed or sort of restored. What kind of new do we have here when we talk about the new heavens and new earth? Is it neos or kainos? Is God going to junk what he created and start something all over, like completely from scratch? Is it neos? Or is God going to redeem and renew and even perfect what he started? Is it kainos or neos? Is God going to junk the old computer or is he going to release a software update? That's one way of putting it, right? Well, here's the answer. The Greek word that's used here is not neos, but kainos. The new heavens and new earth is not brand new, but it is renewed. It's a renewed creation, creation 2.0. And creation 2.0 is going to be similar to creation 1.0, right? what we are experiencing right now in some ways that are familiar, but it's also going to be different too. Sort of same, same, but different. Not unlike a caterpillar emerging from a cocoon, right? The same creature that went into it, but also radically different uh, as well. When I think about the new heavens and the new earth, I think about Willa's highlight magazines. Uh, Do you know highlights? yeah okay there's always a game like this inside of it which is like can you spot the difference you've got two pictures that are side by side sort of picture one over here picture two and in picture two there's some things that are missing from picture one there's some things that are different that have been changed and then there are some things that have just stayed the same and i think in our highlights magazine we really do kind of have here an illustration for the new heavens and new earth there are some things that are going to be missing, some things that we experience in this life, this world right now, sort of picture one, they're not going with us into picture two, like they will be no more. And then there are some things that are just going to be added, and then there are some things that are just going to stay the same. What I want to focus on tonight is sort of what's missing, like what is what is not going with us into the new heavens and new earth, like what is no more? And then next week, Sarah Jane's going to talk about those things that are maybe, uh, that that go with us that are current uh, that also are added. Does that make sense? We're going to spend two weeks talking about this. So, this week, what's the no more uh, of the new heavens and the new earth? The very thing. The very first thing that I want you to see from this passage before you is that there's there will be no more separation between heaven and earth. No more separation between heaven and earth. Presently. And picture one, if you want to think of it that way, in this world that we are living in, these spaces, heaven and earth, really are distinct and they're separate. You've got heaven, which is where God is, and angels and our loved ones in Christ. They're all like over there in some in in the great beyond, right? The cosmos. And then there's all of us in here, in this this sort of in the earth, this physical material creation. But someday, these divisions are going to be erased. It's not going to be like God and the angels and every, all of our loved ones in Christ over there and us over here. Like, they're going to become one. There's going to be, they will completely overlap. And it's not that we're all going to leave this place, this space and enter into God's space. On the contrary, God's space is going to come down and it's going to enter in and merge with our own. That's what this text is saying. This is counter to lots of folks' expectations. The traditional way of thinking about heaven is that we die, we fly into the sky, we live in some castle in the clouds, we strum harps, I guess. And earth, well, what about it? Who cares? It's gone. We're in heaven now. We're in this purely spiritual state. We resemble more angels than humans uh, in sort of this picture. It's a popular view. It's just not a biblical one. God's plan is not to junk the physical material universe he made. On the contrary, he plans to move into it and make it his permanent residence. That's what what the revelation reveals. Look at verses 2 and 3 again. It says, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Not us going up into it. It's coming down out of heaven from God. Right, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, look, Right, pay close attention. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. I've thought um, a lot this week about how to illustrate this, how you can have two spaces that sort of overlap at times, uh, and then kind of become one. How best to illustrate this and this is what I could this is the best that I could come up with. It's Thanksgiving day. And there are two spaces. There's like the living room, dining room like over here and then there's the kitchen. Two distinct spaces. The kitchen over there, and right, that's where the feast is being prepared. And the living room, dining room over here, well, this is where we're watching the parade, we're watching the dog show, we're playing puzzles and games, maybe watching a football game, like two distinct spaces. However, what's happening in the kitchen can sometimes overlap with what's happening in the dining room, living room, dining room. For example, there might be some warm, delicious smells coming uh, from the other room, right? Something's cooking in there, it smells really good. Well, as the day wears on, we lose a couple of people to the kitchen. Right, Someone leaves the living room, dining room, and they start whipping up some bean casserole over there. Or someone leaves the living room, dining room, and they go into the kitchen and they start carving up the turkey. They're not gone forever. They're just not in the living room anymore. But finally, the feast is ready. And what happens? Does everybody leave the living room, dining room, and eat in the kitchen? No. Everyone leaves the kitchen and they bring with them Right, this feast into the living room, dining room. In some ways, that space gets completely moved over into this space. All the food, all the people, what was in there is now in here. In some ways, the two spaces have become one. I don't know if I lost you there. <laughs> but by way of analogy, this is kind of what we're looking forward to. Right? A feast coming down to earth. We're not all moving to the kitchen. The kitchen is coming to us. And in this in-between time, we catch sense of what's coming. We get little foretastes, little like, yeah, this aroma of heaven. And maybe you've experienced this where it just feels like, oh, I know I'm not in heaven, but it sure feels like it right this at this time. It's just sort of the smells coming from it over there. Someday, all of that's going to be coming, coming in. Okay? Because there won't be any more separation between heaven and earth, because the two are going to be one, we're also told in verse 22 that there's not going to be any more temple. So like no more separation between heaven and earth, the two are going to become one. So that's gone, that that, that division's gone, but also no more temple. The reason being is that the whole world is going to be the temple. The whole cosmos is going to be this place where we see, experience, and enjoy God. And not just every now and then, but like all the time. Um, temple is not really a word that we use a lot. Um, we sometimes think about church. Uh, maybe if you grew up in a Jewish background, you might think about going to the temple. But for most in our culture, even most Christians, just temple is not in our like vocabulary. It's not a category we have. What is it? Well, I think a simplest definition, the temple is where God can be found. It's where his special personal presence resides. You can think of it this way, too. The temple is where heaven and earth intersect. It's where these two worlds sort of collide. The first temple that we see in the Bible is actually the Garden of Eden. Uh, in the garden, we see God walking and talking with Adam and Eve. He's dwelling with them there. He's fellowshipping with them there, He's living in this face-to-face relationship with them. The garden really is this place where heaven and earth meet. And that is until Adam and Eve reject God and they seek to do life on their own terms. At that moment, sin separates them and us from God. It separates us from one another. It separates us from uh, creation. It even separates us from our very selves so that we can be like, I don't know who I am. Or I'm... I'm not who I I'm not living in a way that I, I know I'm supposed to, right? Like there's this internal like dissonance. If it weren't for God, it would remain this way, right? All of us separated, sort of forever. But fortunately, and what can only be described as amazing grace, that's not what God wants. He doesn't want us to be estranged from Him or from each other or from ourselves forever. His desire is still for you and for me and for us to, to live with us and to dwell with us. This was the plan way back, way, way, way back in the beginning. When Father, Son, and Spirit decided, hey, wouldn't it be great for there to be other creatures like us who could share and participate in the love that we have? Yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Right. That's been the plan, and God is going to see that plan through to completion, as is as seen here, right, in Revelation. Right? God wanting to dwell with us, to, to be with us, really is what the whole story of the Bible is about. It's about his desire to make his home with us. Now in the Old Testament, God says, Make a tent, and I will literally dwell with you in your midst. As you go from one place to the next, I will go with you. I'll be with you when you break down camp, I'll be with you when you set up the next one. Well, eventually the canvas tent gets replaced with a brick-and-mortar temple. But long story short, that temple gets destroyed. And the question gets raised, is God through with us? Like, are we on our own? And the answer to that question is no, right? It's no because of Jesus. But we, we read in the Gospel of John, the same one who had this vision, right? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, literally tabernacled with us, made a tent, right, in our midst. That's what it's saying this is the good news if not be good so you can get back into the garden get into heaven experience God's presence again the gospel the good news is that God is good and he has come to bring uh, the garden the temple his presence to you All right you weren't looking for it you were and if, even if you were you weren't you weren't finding it He's come to bring it to you to me to us now here. If you think about the temple, if you think about the tabernacle, trust me, this relates to Revelation. Hang with me here, okay? The, tap, the tabernacle, the temple, they had a special place inside called the Holy of Holies. Okay, the Holy of Holies was where God's special presence was said to reside. It was like the inner chamber, right? You Kind of have to walk into, it was like at the very center of things. It's a very special room. Uh, You could think of it quite literally as a square inch of heaven here on earth. And the room itself was a square. In fact, it was a cube. It was like 10 feet by 10 feet by 10 feet. This cube-shaped room was the most sacred space in the temple, also in the tabernacle. And it was accessible to only one person, the high priest, and that one person could only go into the space one time of year, which was on the Day of Atonement. Okay. Now I want you to look at what the dimensions of the city that come down out of heaven, what they are. Verse 16, 21, 16. It says that the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. He measured the city with his rod, its 1,200 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. You have essentially a cube shaped city coming down out of heaven. You all are used to this at this point, right? This is a symbolic vision, but here's what this symbolism means. The heavenly city is a perfect cube, which means that all of it, right? This whole new creation, it's all of it's the Holy of Holies. Like the whole city, the whole cosmos is now this super special place where God's unique personal presence is going to be felt and experienced and enjoyed by all. And not just one time of year, like on some special holiday, like the Day of Atonement, and not just by one high priest, right? We will get to experience God's immediate, direct presence all the time. This is true of everyone. This is what these details are communicating. And in some sense, like these words have entered into your ears. You've maybe apprehended it with your mind. But I really want you to understand this point with your heart. I want you to really feel what this means. We all know what it's like to be excluded. I mean, we've all experienced some form of FOMO. Maybe it's the concert that you weren't able to afford. Or an art exhibit that is never going to pass through your town. Or a place that you are only ever going to see on Instagram. Like you will never get to go there. Or maybe it's a relationship that you will never get to experience. Because something's happened in your family and you're never going to experience intimacy with that person or... Something has happened with a friend, and you're never going to experience friendship with that person. Or maybe there's a community that you're always on the outside looking in, and you forever feel like you're on the fringe. Like, we all have these experiences, do we not? Okay. It's not just me. (laughs) (laughs) Phew. What is being communicated here in these details? No more temple. Everything a holy of holies. The city is a cube. What is being communicated in these details is that these feelings of exclusion, that your FOMO, it will be felt no more. That's what is being communicated here. It's not just no more temple. It's no more FOMO. It's no more, no more being on the outside looking in. You will be an insider forever. What this is saying is that you will be home. I was bullied a lot uh, as a kid. And high school was really hard for me. Um, for this reason. Um, I was bullied. I wasted a lot of my time trying to be friends with people uh, who were really mean to me. And who just hated me. Uh, I don't know why. They just did. Um, I distinctly remember one night driving to a party with a guy named Mark Milmer. And we got to the party. These friends of mine, like they were throwing the party. And as soon as we got on the door, we rang the doorbell. Somebody opened the door. They said, Mark, you can come in, John, stay the hell out. And Mark went in and the door was closed. And I had to go back in my car and drive home. This is my senior year of high school. And shortly after this, I'm like, I'm the guy eating alone in the cafeteria and I'm looking around at like all the other groups of people, like even the first years have found their folks, right? And they're happy and they're laughing. And I'm wondering what it would be like to have friends and what it would be like to be in a group like that where people know you and love you. And then somebody named Sam sits next to me and he starts to talk to me. And he and his friend Todd, they invite me to go over to their house and play N64 with them. And then they invite me to crash on their couch after like a late, like just playing a ton of video games. And then they invite me to join them for late night hangouts at IHOP and to go on road trips to the beach and so on and so forth. do you all know what this feels like? Like, to go from being excluded to being welcomed in, to go from being like an outsider to being an insider, like, do you know what that feels like? Because if you do, you have a much deeper appreciation, like you really understand, you really know what this text means. Because it's saying, that is what's coming, There's no more temple. There's no more like you're out, only one person gets to go in. It's all the temple. We're all going to experience homecoming. So far, as we play this highlights game and compare this heavens and earth with the new heavens and new earth like creation 2.0, we see that there's going to be no more separation between heaven and earth. There's going to be no more temple Right, no more exclusion, no more FOMO. And finally, there's gonna be no more sin and its side effects. This is communicated in many ways. Okay, I'm just gonna kind of rattle some of them off. It says in verse one that there's gonna be no more sea. Now, in the ancient Near East, the sea represented chaos and disorder. If you've ever been in a boat on the sea, you can understand why. It's very scary, it's unpredictable. It's unruly, right? It's also a symbol for judgment. So when the Bible writes, no more sea, they're saying there's going to be no more judgment. There's going to be no more chaos. There's going to be no more evil. It's not saying there's no more surfing or scuba diving or dolphins. Chill, right? Like, <laughs> we've, we can look forward to that, <laughs> right? <laughs> the same goes for no more night. Okay, this is probably figurative language too, meaning there's, there's, there's not going to be anything to fear anymore. Also, nothing to hide, nothing shadowy or deceitful. That's what's being communicated. Also, no more tears, verse 4. I'm going to read it because it's such a good verse. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In that famous line from the Lord of the Rings, everything sad is going to come untrue. There's going to be no more tears and no more causes for tears. No more sin. No more sorrow. No more curses. No more curses means no more war. No more frustration at work. No more battle between the sexes. No more exile. No more wandering. We will as I've said earlier, fully and finally be home. Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest uh, and writer who worked with college students at one time before he started to work with, like, the disabled. And I want you to hear what he writes in his book, Life Signs. He says, and I quote, While teaching university students who came from many different states and countries, I was struck how lonely they were. For many years they live in small rooms surrounded by strangers far away from their families and friends. There's little privacy and even less community in their lives. Mostly they have no contact with children or elderly people. Seldom do they belong to a welcoming neighborhood or a supportive faith community and only a very few know families where they can drop in any time and feel at home. I've come to consider this situation in which thousands of young adults live as normal, but when I examine it a little closer, it is not hard to understand why so many feel rootless and even lost. Probably no word better summarizes the suffering of our time than the word homeless. And the new heavens and new earth, we will not feel homeless anymore. We will be home. And all that communicates, right? We will belong finally. We will be home, which means we will be free to let our guard down. We'll be free from worry. Free from tension. Free from pressures. We'll be able to laugh deeply and embrace folks, and dance, and sleep, and dream. Free to read and play, watch the fire, listen to music, be with our friends. Free to rest, to be healed. We will be forever in this house of love. As we wrap up tonight, I think it's important for us to ask why any of this matters. Like, why do we spend a week talking about this stuff, let let alone two? And I think the answer is this. What we believe about the future shapes how we live in the present. What we believe about the future shapes how we live today. If you don't believe in heaven, if you believe that this is all that you get, you will be tempted to live your best life now and to... you're going to be tempted to live a selfish YOLO life. If you think heaven is nothing but a bunch of dopes playing harps in the clouds, you're going to try to maximize your pleasure today because who's looking forward to that, right? If you think that God is going to junk this creation and start afresh, why not just junk it too? I was talking to Therese about that today. Just sort of like the environmentalism that's implicit in this vision, that God loves the world. He's not completely throwing it away. That he's, he's renewing it. There's going to be continuity with it. If that's true, we can love and steward it and care for it too. Right? It's not in vain. When we really take the time to listen and to learn about what is coming down the pike, we can begin to lean into it and live into it. If you become captivated by the vision that is at the end of the Revelation You will not live so selfishly and tight fistedly anymore. It has the effect of making you uh, sacrificial. It means that you will start pursuing restoration and reconciliation and not cancellation. Maybe you've heard it said that eternal living is not just a quantity of time, but it's a quality of life. It's a kind of life that's just going to go on and on forever, and that eternal living can begin today. It's life everlasting. And that life can start today. God gives us tastes and appetizers of this life to come, and we ourselves get to be that for other people. Not the whole meal, of course, but not nothing either. Right? There is a substance to this kind of life. And when you begin to taste and experience some of its goodness, you will start living in such a way that others can taste and see it too. It's not just taste and see, it's also taste and be. Be captivated by this vision. Lean into it, live into it. Catch that aroma, that aroma of Christ, that smell from the kitchen, before the kitchen comes back and invades our living room. Let's pray.